0: Forever!
1: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Writer's Panel podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. On this podcast, we talk about the business and process of writing mostly television with mostly television writers. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and host of this show. I myself am a television writer and a writer of other things. You may have seen my name on Supernatural, on Puss in Boots, as well as some other series. Most recently, you can find the Audible original series Cut and Run, which my writing partner and I have written. It's about the relationship woes of best friends who happen to be kidney thieves. It's available at audible.com slash cut and run. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. That's always very helpful for us. Also, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so. And let me know who else you would like to see on this show. What are you watching on television? What's getting you excited or inspired? And we'll try to get those creators or at least someone from the show to talk about TV because that's what we love to talk about. Here's the theme song. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! (laughs) This is it. Thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you both. What I'm going to do is have you each introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listener can uh, hear what your voice sounds like, and tell us somewhere they may have seen your name on their television screen. Uh, Davi, let's start with you.
2: I'm Davi Waller. You may have seen my name on your television screen for Halt and Catch Fire, Further Back, Mad Men, Eli Stone, for those diehard Greg Berlanti fans.
1: (laughs) Eli Stone comes up a lot on this podcast. I'm happy to hear that. I think there were some great writers in that room. I love that writer's room. people really remember it.
2: That really made my day. Thank you. (laughs)
0: It's true. It's true. Um, My name is Julia Yorks. Uh, You may have seen my name on your kid's favorite TV totally. show. Uh, Puss, the Adventures of Puss in Boots, Trolls the Beat Goes On, Skylanders Academy, and a bunch of other shows that either haven't been released yet or will never be released. So um, <laughs> wow. it's true. I um, And also, I, you won't see my name on a show, but I sold my first show mm. to Freeform last year. So that was really fun.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Like, look, this is a weird business. And... <laughs> There's a way to make a living and thrive in this business without like having a public persona about it. Like my parents don't understand what I do. Like I've written on shows, but I've sold a dozen pilots over the years and they don't understand that this is a living. Um, Davi, it seems like you have had a somewhat traditional route, but um, tell me about getting there
2: actually it's funny my parents are the same way when right. I remember them trying to get me to explain what a blind script deal is so they yeah. can explain it to their friends <laughs> it's like this is not going to go well <laughs> um, yeah so I when I moved out to Los Angeles to become a writer uh, I had one contact like one name where did you move from? I moved from New York
1: okay
2: and I had – the one contact name was Vanessa Taylor, who some of you might recognize. Mm -hmm. And she was so sweet. She took me out to breakfast. I said, you know, I want to write movies and television. She goes, okay, movies, it's like winning the lottery. Just forget that. (laughs) But TV, there's a little bit more of a path. So you should try to get a job as a writer's assistant and i said, oh, "okay, great. You know, how do i get one of those?" and she just kind of laughed and said, "well, i have this pilot that i'm writing and if it goes, like i'll give you a call." i'm like, "yeah, that's never going to happen." <laughs> 4 months later, she called me and she said, "you'll never believe this pilot i was writing is going to air." and i walked your resume into Greg Berlanti. And I told him, you have to hire this person, which I didn't even realize how lucky. Now I understand how insane. lucky that was. Wow. But at the time, I just thought, okay. And then I met with Greg. And he's like, well, you're the only resume. She walked into my office. So, I guess oh I have to God. hire you. <laughs> and that's how I got my toe that's in the crazy. door.
1: It's crazy. So that, what, what show was that?
2: Jack and Bobby.
1: okay. Which oh, is a cult favorite. Yeah. Oh, totally. um, it must have been just a crash course for you.
2: It, I always say it was like going to grad school with a small stipend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Warner Brothers. <laughs> um, it was an incredible writing staff who all went on to create uh, wonderful shows and write incredible movies. In addition to Vanessa Taylor, uh, Michael Green, Jonathan Lisco, I ended up working for on *Halt and Catch Fire*. Mark Guggenheim, where I worked for on *Eli Stone*, uh, Barbie Kligman, Maggie Friedman. So, just being in that room, mm-hmm. I learned the craft. Yeah. In such a huge, my learning curve was so steep, um, and I really credit that room with helping me succeed when I finally got my staff writer job the next year.
1: That's so interesting. Um, and
2: I wanna... actually, had, they helped me get my agent. I mean, that really. I, I always say when you get into a writer's room, it's really not so much about the show. I remember so Jack and Bobby was airing the same year as Desperate Housewives, and there were many discussions. Oh during that summer, like, who do you think will be a bigger hit? Us or Desperate (laughs) Which now seems like a hilarious conversation, but we had it in earnest. Um, And of course, Jack and Bobby was canceled and I was out of a job, but... um, I thought that was the worst thing in the world, but truly your relationships with all the writers is more important than the success of the show. And all those writers sent my material to their agents, and that's how I got my agents. So I always say it's not really the success of the show, really, who's in your room.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's not even
0: just like the agent connection. You know, I was on uh, Skylanders, and when that... Uh, ep moved on to another show i went with him to another show and then he recommended me to two of his friends and so i got freelance episodes on their shows like it really just is you know that networking experience that gets you the jobs
1: networking sort of has an ugly connotation i think but it's necessary right and there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it Um, and i'm curious to hear from both of you what your experiences in that world have been like a big part of it is when you're in a room with these writers as a, as a young writer, be a normal person. <laughs> yeah. right? Try try to be normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's
0: going to make me sound like a kiss-ass because this is your podcast, but you <laughs> Ben was the... I'll
2: allow
1: it. <laughs> I'll let it slide this time.
0: <laughs> the Bens were um, on Puss in Boots when I was the script yep. coordinator, and you guys read all my stuff. You guys were super supportive, um, and when they ended up leaving, I ended up getting Mm -hmm. promoted to staff writer. And, um, you know, it's just that everyone on that staff was so wonderfully supportive and, you know, submitting my stuff now. Like, it's just um, networking. You're right. It does have such a, like, can I pick your brain over coffee (laughs) connotation. And it really is just those relationships that you form. Um, In a natural way. In a natural way, yeah. yeah. And you want other people to help, you know, you want uh, other people to to succeed. I
2: I think there are two schools of thought. I had a showrunner who said, never do a job well you don't want. Mm -hmm. But I actually think, Mm -hmm. and I felt this way as a writer's assistant, and I tell that to script coordinators and writer's assistant, if you do your job well, then the writers on staff will appreciate that, and they just want to help you. So I, and I always think networking more is what do I have to offer and how can I help people rather than what can I get out of people? Right. Yeah. And I think so I'm always offering to, not always. <laughs> i get a bunch of scripts sent to me unsolicited. You no, know, but I have you know, you offer to give notes to your friends who are writers, you offer to be a sounding board. Um, I think just being helpful and seeing yourself as part of a community is is a great way to think about networking.
1: Yeah, and I think something has shifted in the last couple of years where, and and part of it is, you know, the ATA uh, WGA disagreement, let's say. (laughs) Um, But I think we are seeing ourselves as more of a community these days in a way that, you know, more, it used to be well, I work in this office next to these people, so we kind of know each other, right? Like, between Twitter and that WGA stuff, I think we're we're a more formalized community.
2: I think it's one of the great consequences of the yeah. ATA Writers Gu- Writers Guild Rancor. Can I say that? Um, <laughs> is that writers no are good word? <laughs> there squabble. is not going good squabble. <laughs> Eight month squabble. Yeah. Um, is that writers have stepped up and uh, more seasoned writers have stepped up to read yeah. aspiring writers' materials. I think the D- Writers Guild portal is feeling like more of a community mm-hmm. in good and bad ways. Like yeah. you go to a Writer's Guild meeting and you're like, fuck that guy. Let's keep out of this yeah, yeah, yeah. But also you feel like connected to everyone. Right.
0: No, I've been the beneficiary of a lot of that Twitter, you yeah. know, kind of people reading my stuff. And um, I got a meeting um, with Julie Plack based on a Twitter call-out that she she did. And actually, um, Acker recommend, Ben yeah. Acker recommended me um, to meet with her. And, and so it really yeah. has been an interesting thing that sometimes your agents can't get you into these meetings, but a person on Twitter can, yeah. <laughs> can just I'll bring say, you in.
1: I mean, you know, Davi, you, you staffed a show last year, right? And, like, I don't assume that, you know, you took from these kinds of call-outs, but I do imagine that you vetted your writers <laughs> and what another writer or showrunner has to say about someone goes a lot further than what an agent has to say about them.
2: Absolutely. I I really did my due diligence and did call the references. I'm always amazed when people don't call references because, <laughs> yeah. and it's actually fun for me because I got to speak to some of my heroes. Totally. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I'll call Ann, Alan Ball to ask about this writer and try not to geek out on it. Um Absolutely. And it is really helpful to hear how they did in the room. And I find there is this sense, you know, showrunners want to help other showrunners make yeah. good decisions. And it's something I learned from the Chrises, who are the showrunners, along with Jonathan Lisko and halt and yeah. Catch Fire, that they not only read 400 scripts, but they really vetted. And they thought about how are all these writers going to fit together. Mm. So I don't only think about who are the best writers for the, my show, but also which personalities right. are going to have the kind of chemistry that will create a great room. And then how do I create a diverse room was also right. something that was really important and that I looked for while I was staffing.
1: Have you been in rooms in the past where you felt like those puzzle pieces came together and that was the thing like you're trying to emulate and putting together your own room?
2: At, one of my favorite writer's rooms was the Halton Catch Fire mm-hmm. room. And... It just was a fantastic, all the puzzle pieces came together. We worked together. I was there for two seasons, same staff. And I did kind of emulate Mm -hmm. their approach. Uh,
1: So I'm curious about, like, what are those personalities? What were you looking Mm -hmm. for? Like, what was the stuff when you were like, I know I want this person? She gave the devilish laugh.
2: (laughs) Well, I always laugh because it seems like the people who are always bragging they have a no assholes policy are the biggest assholes.
1: (laughs) So I won't say that.
2: that. <laughs> no. Um, I no, will. No, all give the assholes. Assholes. I want all the assholes. <laughs> They'll make me look like a sweetheart. Um, I have noticed in being in different writers' rooms that the most toxic writer in a writer's rooms, and they say that you just need one to really mess up the entire room, are the narcissist. So something I look mm. for, I say, no narcissist. And they're very easy to spot when you sit down to meet with them. If you just stay quiet for 10 minutes, it soon is revealed to you, <laughs> you know, if they have Keep talking 20 minutes in and haven't asked you any questions. Oh, my God. You know, it's – Sure. So I was actually – that's that was one thing that I was really careful about. Mm-hmm. And then I looked for – I know this sounds it's gonna sound really cheesy, but uh, kindness. Sure. A really kind it's room. It's worth
1: saying. It's so nice. You, I <laughs> wanted to be
2: – you know, I want everyone to be really fun and funny and – but I also want that kindness because it's going to create a supportive environment. And it's funny, about two weeks into my writer's room, some of the writers came up to me and they said, and I will say it was a predominantly female writer's room. We had only one male writer. A token
1: male writer. Yeah, I was very excited to hire a token male writer. Well, I did
2: want that that one guy to give us a male perspective.
1: For all men. Just for all men, to speak for all men. We
2: felt it was very important for the show. Uh, I love it. But a couple of the writers came up to me after two weeks and said, it's so weird, you know. I pitch and and no one's interrupting me, and I finish my sentences. <laughs> and I, so I, I I was like, well, that, I'm happy
1: to hear that.
0: Yeah. Everyone says sorry all the time. Always <laughs> a no, you go. No, you go. No, you first.
1: <laughs> had you worked with uh, any or many of these writers before?
2: I had not worked with any of the writers. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And you know, maybe everyone has their own way. Some people sure. like to hire writers that they know or are friends with. Their first show. I I didn't want to work. With anyone, I didn't want to hire anyone who was a friend who I hadn't worked with because mm-hmm. I just wanted to have a clean slate and mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to have it be equal. So I happened to not know anyone who was in that room yeah. beforehand except for my researcher mm-hmm. who I promoted to staff writer. I had worked okay. with him during development.
1: So. Um, so I'm curious to hear about creating the target for these writers. You don't have a shorthand with them, right? It's all <laughs> new relationships. You're sort of setting how the room is going to work. Um, but you also have to make a show and, you know, communicate to them what this show looks and feels and sounds like.
2: Mm-hmm. And The first thing I'll say is when I was on staff, I never understood the showrunner's point of view. I never understood why they walked in frustrated or tired. <laughs> I never understood why they thought they were working harder than the rest of us. Like I truly had no understanding and then as soon as you become a showrunner you're you realize. This is really hard to run a room, yeah. and it's a very lonely job. Like mm-hmm. all your writers are on a text thread without you, they're oh. all getting drinks. You look at their Instagram stories, and they're like, "Out to dinner with the Miss America writers." You're like, "I wasn't invited." So it's a very lonely. Oh, oh, Always remember,
0: invite your boss to drinks, yeah.
2: right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. I did. We didn't invite our bosses when we were on staffs, and I completely. But it's just you, you're there. You're in it in some ways alone. But mm-hmm. I think that I think that's okay. And in terms of setting the tone, I think it's important to set your expectations. So day one, just say, this is what I expect from the room. Everything from whether you expect them to be on time, um, breaks, what you expect um, them to do after hours or not do, Mm. just really be explicit of what you consider great work. Um, And then, you know, they had the pilot and episode two to read. It's helpful if there's a shot pilot. We didn't have that. Mm -hmm. I think that really helps with setting the tone. Um, And then I think I usually – I started the first week with everyone kind of bringing in personal stories and also just like five stories that they thought about would be great for the series because I thought that's a great jumping off point. Mm -hmm. And then it also allows me to see like what each writer brings to the table Mm and what – Everyone's strengths are – I mean, I think everyone thinks about it as like a baseball team and everyone has different strengths and right. which characters people are getting excited about or keying into in a way. Like, right. oh, they're really interested in this character and they brought a lot of great ideas. So that helps you when you start thinking about assigning drafts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if, if this character is going to be – have a heavy episode, maybe yeah. that writer is good for that. That's cool. um, And I also think – Setting this also will sound a little cheesy, but really setting a safe space. I, I, you know, I say this is a safe space, and here's how we keep it safe, and here's how we keep it respectful, and he, here's what dignity looks like. And I think just being very explicit about that, uh, it seems so obvious, but I think it doesn't hurt for everyone to hear it. Um, I want
1: to pick up on that in a second, but yeah. uh, Julia, you know, you've worked on a bunch of these different shows, yeah. um, and it's sort of the flip side of that question, like. Going on to a staff on one of these shows, where did you find the best instance of someone making clear what this show was?
0: Yeah, I think that the, I don't want to frame it in a negative way, but the mm-hmm. best way to, to <laughs> be in a room and think about it's it's what you don't want or what you don't want to. Sure. What, the experience that you don't want to have again. And I think um, you mentioned having everyone come in with their own personal stories and have five different kind of ideas. I think that is so, so critical to have that homework or to provide time where everyone goes away for an hour Mm. and comes back. Otherwise, it really just becomes a throwing things at the wall and and seeing what sticks, but in a not productive way. And um, I'm the type of person who I feel like I find my words best When I write them, surprisingly, (laughs) as a writer, Um, but
1: that's so that's such a little part of the job.
0: Yeah, but it but I think it really helps. And and once everyone has these clear ideas, or you know, instead of a kernel of an idea, it's like a popped piece of popcorn. You know that you once you have that, it's a little bit easier to. you know, to, to jump off from
2: there mm-hmm. on to, yeah, but what if we did this, yeah. or what if right. we did this? And what do you find is the least productive time in the writer's room, like where it's not, you know, where you wish the showrunner were yeah. more clear?
0: I was in a writer's room once where we um, would group write emails to executives about notes. <gasps> <Stop>. What? <laughs> um, <and laughs> really? Truly. Truly. Um, there's nothing worse. I, and I know that sometimes, you know, in comedy rooms, they'll Group write right. or a punch up, which I'm totally. I love being in a punch up room, yeah. but group writing a script to me is the most tedious thing. Um, group writing something, an email that <laughs> isn't even relevant to the script <laughs> God, is Lord. is truly the worst. So that's bonkers. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> bonkers. It just feels. Did like Did you
1: it, all get credited on the did you get on, on the, the email?
0: Signed sign from the writer's room.
1: <laughs> or did credit pass from, <laughs> like credit from the it did a person. rotation. Yeah. We rotate credit. We said who,
0: who wrote right. what. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, look, at the end of the day, being in a writer's room is so fun, but it's a job. And it's essentially like a big meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to make the most of that time that yeah. you have. And when it's not productive, it, you really... Feel that slog, um, yeah. so so yeah. I think that making the most of the time, and there's also those times when you're just sitting there, you know, shooting the shit, and it's so fun and hilarious. Right. And
2: I think actually, think it's really important to have goof off time, and yeah. because it is. Keeping focus for eight hours is impossible, and through the goof off time, you kind of get to the the good stuff. Or just yeah. give people more breaks. I definitely feel like I could have been better. <laughs> more him? breaks, because I don't have to go to the bathroom very often. So,
0: lucky you. <laughs> so I'll just
2: keep going. And <laughs> that's a weird brag, Dobby. <laughs> Humble brag, <laughs> guys. I'm like a camel. I have two drinks in front of me right yeah. now, so
1: you have we- two more minutes. Than <laughs>
2: But I actually think I'd be a better writer if I did go to the bathroom more because I think you have your best ideas. Let's be honest. Well, when you get those breaks, yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) honestly, like
1: there's something for it. Breaks and good snacks. We had really good snacks. We had like,
2: okay, jalapeno, jalapeno, kettle chips. Nice. Um, we had a lot of skinny pop, a little too much skinny pop. We had the cheese kind, <laughs> the regular, the salt and pepper. We had a lot of dark, <laughs> am I going too much no I, want, no, I want dark. dark chocolate-covered almonds. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of LaCroix. Um, this was before Spindrift. We had a lot of LaCroix. We had some bad flavors, um, I will admit. And pe- the other thing is, no matter how good a coffee machine you have, everyone wants a coffee run. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I you yeah. know, There's just something about getting that steaming hot cup from outside. Yeah. That really
0: just
2: picks you up at three. It (laughs) tastes (laughs) like freedom.
0: You know, if you didn't make it out of the room, at least the coffee did. At least the
1: coffee did. Uh, I will. I'll never forget. We had a conversation early on in this podcast. Uh, It was Josh Friedman. I can't remember who else was on it. But Josh was saying when he ran Sarah Connor, like his his PA, the office PA, who would go out and buy the snacks, was like a 20-year-old kid, right? And, like, that guy is buying a very very different snacks to what these <laughs> middle-aged writers should be eating. And so this what guy was he buying? Came, like back, Cheetos? He came back with, like, yeah, Cheetos and candy bars and stuff. Oh and God, he's that like, amazing. apples. You need to get some apples. Where is
0: the crudité? <laughs> we need some dried
2: mango, but the one without the added sugar. But it's true. Oh, like
0: Soft and juicy mango. Soft and, and juicy.
2: I'll never forget. So like, so I good. love that mango. <laughs> I could talk about snacks for an hour, so we should really... <laughs> Wait, should we? Should we? we? I really am starving. (laughs) This is making me hungry, but also I do think that writers really get great when the food is bad, when lunch is bad, if they're not good lunch options or they're not good snacks. And it sounds really petty, but it actually, it's the comfort that it brings you. Because your brain hurts.
0: If I never have tender grains again, it would be too soon. (laughs)
2: I get like a PTSD from tender greens. I,
0: wha- I just I and want I will chicken breast. I don't. I don't want the dark meat chicken. I will I, say Mendocino
2: <laughs> Farms is coming close to the tender greens oh no. in terms of places <laughs> I cannot order. From. Yeah,
1: you get burnt out. You get burnt down yeah. in these places. Yeah. Um Did you listen? I'm going to ask one more like room food question.
2: <laughs> you can ask me uh, a thousand. I will not get
1: bored of this question. What What kind of hours did you like to keep? And did you um, all eat lunch together?
2: Those are great questions. Um, I tried to keep regular hours, you know, 10 to 6. We definitely had a few late nights, but if you're getting the dinner menus, it's, I feel like that's not, you're not working so great. Um we tended to eat lunch as a group outside. <laughs> so there was, we, we worked in Lantana and there are these really pretty courtyards with big farm tables and we would always sit outside the Narcos writer's room <laughs> and they were not as thrilled or thought we were as amusing as I guess we thought we were at lunch and kept oh shutting their door. <laughs> we came out. So we had this like rivalry with Narcos that was completely one-sided. It's like San Francisco to LA. We're it's like only our- we were aware of the rivalry. It's not you know a rivalry Marcos. I'd
0: want to have it, with Narcos. Exactly. I feel like like, oh, I know. I Don't know.
2: Cross I know. <laughs> and also, we had a dogs allowed policy because I have a dog and the writers had a dog, and our dogs were like wander into their room. They just were not happy with us. Like, we could feel the hostility. <laughs> but that's where we ate our lunch oh together.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Um I feel like we have a good opportunity here because we have the two of you. And um, Davi, you've worked in a number of different kinds of rooms. You had a lot of different kinds of experiences. Julia. You are I think in a transition phase.
0: I sure am. If anyone's <laughs> um, hiring, let me know.
1: <laughs> well, let me first, first of all there's that. And absolutely like yeah. I've yelled about it on Twitter. Like you are an asset to any room. Um and I knew you obviously from, from working on Puss and Boots together and you're a great comedy writer, but the spec you sent me is a drama. Mm-hmm. And it's a like a genre drama and it's great. <laughs> like it's one of the few I could not put down and couldn't wait to pass on to people. Thank you. Um,
0: you're gonna make me cry. That's also, my goal. No one's gonna I, I've be only spent a
1: little bit of time with you in the room, but <laughs> <laughs> you are delightful. So I can also oh say that Julia is delightful <laughs> to have in a writer's room.
0: You guys! <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I do like don't what, cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely won't. But the transition you're about to make. Is not always an easy one.
0: Yeah, and, and it hasn't been an easy one. No,
1: so why don't why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because I've been through that too, yeah. and um, I think it bears talking about coming out of uh, kids animation, especially yeah. and comedy into drama. Um, and then I want you to ask Davi anything you want to know because I feel like me she has all the answers. I am <laughs> <so excited. laughs> um, I'm the only one here to <laughs> asked a
2: question. Of that's why.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think. So, uh, kids animation was where I got my start, and I really tripped and fell into it. I had a comedy feature that um, got me a ton of general meetings, and the last meeting was a DreamWorks animation, and they ended up putting me as the script coordinator on Puss in Boots. Um, I got promoted to staff writer, and I was there for, like, two or three years, and then um, immediately went on to trolls like i i just kept doing kids animation but after trolls for about a year and a half i had a period of just intense unemployment where i was um living off of freelance i started working as a nanny um i (laughs) i literally i had this moment where um many many little failures that happened over the course or just um little disappointments. Mm -hmm. The biggest ones being uh, I was offered a job on a preschool show um, and then a week later they told me they made a mistake and they were giving it to someone else. I had gone oh out. I gone out and bought shoes. Like I had been yeah. unemployed at oh, this oh point for months, and I returned my shoes. And um, a writer that I uh, work in a lot of freelance rooms with, she told me every time that she buys shoes, she thinks of me. So I'm very happy <laughs> to be uh, to be on very top of mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, and um. You know, we had sold DOD, which was the show that I sold to Freeform. We had actually sold it to a production company before, hmm. and there was a restructuring, and that deal fell through. Yeah. So it was really a, It's always something. Yeah, it was really a brutal year, and I really did think about packing it up and, and going, where I don't know. I've lived here for eleven years. Uh, where would I go? And you're not
1: qualified to do what anything. What would I do?
0: <laughs> I'm I'm not a copywriter. No one will hire me. Just
2: pack up and stay. Pack up and, <laughs> pack stay. Up and stay. Stay in yeah, L.A. Absolutely. But my bags. Right.
0: I packed. Yes. And um and and then luckily I I had gotten this sale and and to be honest before that I could not get into a live action room. Mm -hmm. the I in that year and a half I had one live action showrunner meeting and that was with Julie Pleck and that was from Twitter
2: yeah
0: um and and that's
2: even with your agent sending your stuff out
0: I just because being even though I was you know a staff writer in animation for I think like four years I was a staff writer and then wrote on seven different shows it didn't matter yeah It didn't matter. And And even though you had a one-hour
2: spec. Yeah. And and you had a couple, right? I had a couple, yeah.
0: So I had the one that ultimately sold. And that helped me get into a couple more rooms, but more so just generals, not Mm -hmm. really even showrunner meetings. Um, And you're still, as an animation writer, you know, in animation there's kind of three levels of writers. It's staff writer, story editor, and then showrunner. Um, And so you stay at the staff writer level for years. but even though I've done that, I can't get above a, st- I, well, one, I can't get a staff job, but two, I couldn't get above that staff job right. on a live action show. So yeah, I think, you know, and we found out that Freeform passed on the pilot for this and and now it really does feel like going back to square one yeah. in a way. Um, you know, I have another project that I'm going to go out with and, and try to pitch, um, but yeah it's definitely not a business for the faint of heart and no. not not if you're craving stability <laughs> <laughs> a, I mean yeah, a big not for the
2: oh, oh, sorry. i sorry gonna... <laughs> a big part of just this just what kind of swear words are <laughs> 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 on this show is what came to mind oh
1: I'd like to hear how deep you can go
2: <laughs>
1: give me those rare cuts um you know, it, it does come up a lot on the show that tenacity is a big part of making it in this business, yeah. right? Talent is great. <laughs> Being a nice person is <laughs> terrific. But you have to be able to hang in there um, if you know that this is what you yeah. can do, Yeah. right? Um, you know, Davi, it feels like, you know, looking at your resume, you've been
2: pretty... Tenacious.
1: <laughs> well, it looks like you've been staffed, you know, pretty consistently... But I'm sure that it doesn't always feel that way. (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, I I went back and forth between being staffed and and developing. I will say that probably the reason I staffed consistently is one of my very first jobs was luckily on Desperate Housewives. Mm -hmm. And when you're on a hit show very early in your career as a staff writer it helps you get staffed because executives say, oh, where are the Desperate Housewives writers? And then it was like, where, where are the Mad Men writers? You know, like, so you're in a category yeah. of a hit show yeah. that they're pulling from. So yeah. that was a lucky break for sure. sure. Um, and
1: let me, the other part of that, and I think what Julia's facing and yeah. certainly what my writing partner and I faced is this branding of yourself or the way the mm-hmm. town sees you. Right. And it feels like Desperate Housewives sets you up for a certain kind of show, (laughs) (laughs) which you've luckily not had to do a ton of.
2: (laughs) I was one of the very few. Desperate Housewives was a weird hybrid of comedy writers and drama writers. So in one room, you had Will and Grace writers, and then I was coming off a one hour show. So I was one of the few drama writers on that one hour writers on that show. Um, and then we went into the strike in my third season. So coming off of the writer strike, I definitely, you know, everyone was a bit of a disadvantage, and I really credit the fact that I'd worked for Greg as a writer's assistant, and he had Eli Stone, mm-hmm. and he and Mark hired me on that, so that was lucky that I got right back into One Hours because I wasn't really interested in going the half-hour route. Right. Yeah. I, you notice I use the word lucky a lot. I think tenacity and luck.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I always say, you know, there is a bit a fair amount of luck, and it all you can control is being ready when the luck happens yeah. with your spec scripts, with your – you know, just you've got to get your ducks in a row, but there is always that element of being in the right place at the right time or something breaking your way, and then there's a lot of you –
0: know, <laughs> And mis- the idea of, like, a t- more targeted approach. I think mm-hmm. that, you know um, – When I first started writing, like, I didn't really have my own animation samples. It wasn't – like I said, I fell into it. Um, But the stuff that I did have was all over the place. I had – you know, I got repped with a hour-long feature, like, comedy Mm. bridesmaids-ish type show. I had a half-hour family – comedy. I had an indie drama. Like I I really was just like, oh, I love this idea. Let me write it. And while that was great to get me in rooms in the beginning, um, what has really helped was having a more targeted approach and branding myself. I'm like an influencer over here (laughs) with my 800 followers. But it does Um, help to
1: let people know, like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, and for
0: me that ended up being female-driven genre. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of like, okay, cool, there's more more of a focus. So the past three or four things that I've written have all been in that vein. Um, and, And so... So that helps. It mm-hmm. helps people be able to kind of pinpoint what they need you for.
2: Yeah, especially now that showrunners don't read spec scripts anymore, it is helpful mm-hmm. if the the pilot you're writing is similar to the genre that 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 yeah. their show is in terms of can you mimic Absolutely. their voice. I will say that you know I I think you're right that when I'm when I was sending out samples early on I, I wrote a pilot that I loved and my agent well now former agent said it wasn't sending it out and I asked him why and he said. It's really well written. It's just that it seems to straddle the line between network and cable. It's mm-hmm. not quite cable. It's not quite network. So I don't send it out because it's. See- and I thought that was really smart mm-hmm. that you want to make sure that what you're sending out is is fits into a category of television show. Um, I wrote a play that was on for like a week in New York. And but <laughs> I, I still awesome. send it. I know, seriously. I'm like so off Broadway. I was like off, ten, off 10th Avenue. But um, <laughs> but I send it out because it's a comedy. And so while I am a one-hour drama writer and I have some very serious one-hour samples, it's nice. To, I do like to write comedy. Sure. And I like to incorporate humor in everything I write. So that gives you a more balanced sense of the kind of writer I am. I think I think while you do want to think of what kind of writing you love to do. I think showing range is also really great and something I, I looked for when I was hiring someone who, could, who has quite a bit of range as opposed to does one thing
1: very well. Yeah. Yeah. Had, have you found both in staffing your show and staffing other uh, staffing on shows yeah. as well as developing that those distinctions are much fuzzier than they were you know even five years ago. Everything is is fuzzy. Everything (laughs) is fuzzier than it was five years ago. Everyone's confused. Yeah. But you kind of get to bring your weirdest thing to CBS, which is great.
2: In fact, someone was just saying to me that, you know, we used to distinguish between network and cable, but with streamers, I could argue that Apple and they would say, we want to be NBC of the 90s. So, in terms of what is cable, what is network, and some of your ideas that, 10 years ago would have been very weird on CBS, uh, now would totally fit. So I I would say take your idea, you know, paint a wide canvas, see yeah. where it falls, because you don't know what and as we were just saying earlier before we started uh recording that the head of the network might move to another network and suddenly yeah. the network you sold your idea to is <laughs> no longer <laughs> interested in that. But so you have to be I think you have to be very flexible. Yeah. Um, in terms of like Julia, you were saying, like, Instead of saying I'll only take this kind of job or this kind of staffing job, being open to like other possibilities that might ultimately get you where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I think that for me was the biggest thing. I was, we were saying before that I actually applied to be a writer's assistant on Mrs. America because even though I had been staffed previously, like I just feel like it's so important to, if you're trying to get into live action, say mm-hmm. from animation, you do need that live action experience. And that ultimately, Comes from you starting lower. I think sure. I don't know if you've had David Slack on the podcast, but too many times. Great. So he was saying <laughs> he was uh, he did something similar. Like he yeah, had been an trying. animation co EP and yeah, then was a staff writer on Law and Order. Um, mm. so,
2: and if yeah. in a couple of years you're a co producer, who cares that you were writer? Exactly. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah.
0: It's. I think uh, again, having been unemployed for a long period, <laughs> I just want to be working. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think people should want that. You know, it's this. This career is so incredibly humbling. Um, and you know, That's or at true. least it has been for me. <laughs> no, it
1: absolutely
2: is. I w- true. I would say that when you're look when you are looking at jobs either as a writers assistant or when you're staffing, I would definitely prioritize getting staffed on a show that is greenlit because a show that is, you know, these mini rooms have become very prevalent. And if you look, like if you look at IMDb, you'll see a gap where it looks like I didn't work for a couple (laughs) of years, but I was in mini rooms on shows that didn't get made. And not only are you, again, not having your work shown, but you're not getting producing experience, you're not getting editing experience. So uh, I really encourage writers to, (laughs) I say this, and of course, we were not officially greenlit, Miss America, we (laughs) opened the writer's room I remember the first week I said, guys, you know, we're not officially greenlit, but I really think it's good because Kate wants to do it. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we know. We know Davi. It's, we're all we're all we're, praying like, night. <laughs> all... That's, that's Kate Blanchett. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, think no there's a, I think there's a pretty good chance we're no going to get greenlit, but
1: we aren't <laughs> but officially. That's also not a sure thing anymore. Which Nothing is, is a crazy. sure thing. Nothing is a sure Lord. thing. Lord, um, which, you know, this note, I think sort of brings us back to where we started, which is. um the value in a lot of those mini rooms, the value in taking, even if it feels like a step down, in whether it's an assistant position or just a staff writer position, um, on a the direction you want to go, is you're meeting people you wouldn't have met otherwise, yeah, uh, I, I and think, making an impression on them.
0: I think that's so important. I see a lot on like pre-WGA yeah. threads on Twitter, and people obviously with the you know kind of pay up Hollywood movement. I think it is so important to have a job that's industry adjacent um, as Mm. opposed to having, I mean, obviously you have to survive um, and be able to pay the bills, but I I do think that you get something so extra. You get access um, when you have an industry adjacent job as opposed to, you know, maybe a better paying job that is outside of the industry. If you can hack it and if you can get those jobs, I just, I think that those connections and that experience is truly invaluable. Yeah. And it's
2: invaluable because they're not paying you a lot. So it's also not <laughs> valuable. Uh, they're of little <laughs> value. Not actually valuable, but
1: in some cosmic sense. Um, um, before we wrap up, uh, Mrs. America.
2: It's yes. you. <laughs> Mrs. America.
1: When does it premiere? Where does it premiere? What do you want to tell us about it? Uh,
2: Mrs. America premieres April 15th on Hulu. I feel like I should say FX on Hulu, which is a whole other
1: can of sure. worms. <laughs> but it's just on Hulu. It,
2: it, it is on Hulu. And to most of America, it'll be yeah. a Hulu show. But it is actually FX Studio yeah. on Hulu. And I think the first three episodes will drop April 15th and then every week um, the rest of the episodes. Cool. Watch it. I don't know. Yay. You like it. I, I like it. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm um, excited to watch it. Yeah. Should I say what it's about? Or Sure. Uh, it's... <laughs> I honestly can't remember. This is my first time
1: doing this podcast.
2: <laughs> leave us wanting more. I'm just going to say, yeah, I'm going to leave you wanting more. Just check uh, it out. On Kate Blanchett list. is not it. That's all you need to know. That's
1: kind of all you and need inc- to know. And an
2: incre- incredible cast. The right? cast
1: is kind of bonkers, actually. Yeah. Let me, actually, I, I pulled it up because I wanted to ask you. Yeah, you got Uzo Aduba, Elizabeth Banks, Rose Byrne,
2: Tracy Ellman, Margot Martindale, Melanie Linsky, Linsky, John Slattery, James Marsden. Yeah, this is Sarah Paulson. This is
1: nuts. Just watch it for that alone.
2: That's a good enough reason to watch any show. How did you?
1: This is another conversation. We'll do it (laughs)
2: for another day.
1: After I get to watch the show, we'll have you call in because I'll have a lot more (laughs) (laughs) questions about how you pulled this off.
2: Casting
0: convo. Yeah,
1: seriously. Um, Thank you so much for being here, both of you. Before we go, please. um, I'm curious to know, what are you watching on television these days? What's getting you excited or inspired? What uh, do you want to recommend to people?
0: Sure. Um, I well, I can't. I, I just started watching Outsiders, the HBO. The Outsider? Is it the Outsider? Just one. Yeah. It's only. It's one. not the Outsiders. Yeah. No, that's the <laughs> uh, that's the e. Hinton book. <laughs> Pony and right. yeah, boy. <laughs> Sunny Boy, Sunny um, Boy or whatever.
1: Outsider is really good. Yeah,
0: it's cool. I yeah. I like to try to watch things that um, are relevant to what it is that I'm working on. Um, because otherwise I'm just watching Bravo, uh, but I watched, uh, that I, um, finished the next season of you, uh, the Watchmen, obviously. Uh, yeah.
1: These are all good answers.
0: I spend a lot of time on the couch.
2: <laughs> I've actually gone in the other direction of watching things that are very different from what I was working on. I started to watch, I was just in the middle of Rami, mm-hmm. which I love. Amazing show and I just started season two of Shrill, which is another favorite. Good answers. I recommend both of them. They're both on Hulu.
0: Hey, wait You're a minute. A
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am you totally chilling for Hulu. Thank you.
0: Forever.
2: Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production.